Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build grassroots advocacy and grow your community of advocates, then you are in the right place. Now, let's get started. In today's episode, we speak with Erica Klinger, Senior Director of Marketing at the Association for Accessible Medicines and the advocacy arm of the generics and biosimilars industry, where she works to ensure greater patient access to generic and biosimilar treatment options. Erica uses emerging digital and social media marketing techniques to convene and educate a diverse group of stakeholders to achieve priority goals. Prior to joining AAM, Erica was the Director of Interactive Promotion and Strategy at St. John. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Erica, thank you and welcome to today's show. Thank you, Roger, for the opportunity. I, I really am a big fan of what you're doing and I think it's really going to be helpful for so many people out there. Well, thank you very much. And I'm a fan of people like you that do the work to reach out to uh, educate stakeholders on the important issues that matter the most to you. So let's roll right into this conversation. Tell us, first of all, about the mission of the Association of Accessible Medicines. Uh, well, our mission, you know, I came to AAM about uh, almost five years ago. And, and at that time, we rebranded. And so we, we re-looked at our mission. And uh, although, you know, what we basically do is where we represent the manufacturers of generics and biosimilars medicines, but more importantly, we advocate on behalf of patients that rely on our medicines every day. Um, so our mission is really all about access and access to affordable medicines is everything from affordability of those medicines um, to being able to, um, you know, uh, fill a medicine that is on the, you know, being it being on the market. So access. Um, and all types of medicines. So most of the people know generic medicines. They're 90% of prescriptions filled. I take them, you probably take them. Most people aren't even aware that they're taking a generic versus a brand name medicine. And so um, I think part of it is uh, we're advocating and educating people about that. Um, the, you know, in short, I think of it as, um, you know, most of us think of generics in the pill format that were prescribed. And the only difference between a generic and a brand name medicine is that the, gen the brand name medicine, they're doing all the research and then they have to promote the drug. So wonderful, wonderful, big part of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and they're the ones that you typically see on the commercials. 
Um, when that patent expires, then generic manufacturers, multiple generic manufacturers can come to market, uh, duplicate that drug. It's all FDA approved, goes, goes through all those approvals, it's safe. And they are more affordable, inherently more affordable because of that. And so that's why people rely on them every day. And the patent typically lasts, what is it, seven years after? Or it could start at seven years. And that's you know a little bit of in our advocacy, depending on the drug. They all have different uh, expiration dates. And what can happen is over time, the brand manufacturer could change that drug maybe make it a different color, you know, um, enhance it. And so it could actually, you know, be, you know, 30, 40 years until that drug comes to market. And sometimes it's, there's never a generic for that drug. And so that what, uh, you know, we could talk about a little bit later, but one of our big um, advocacy is around drug prices. Um, so if there is only a brand name option, uh, patients are going to be paying more. And we put out an annual report, it's called the Access and Savings Report. And so we uh, run all the numbers from the prior year and we find, find that, you know, just in 2019, the average copay for a patient is $7 for someone on a generic medicine compared to a brand name medicine, $56. Oops. So brands are great. If you know, if you need to take the brand and your your physician prescribes the brand name drugs, wonderful. A lot of our members create both generic and brand name drugs. Um, but I think when it comes down to accessibility, that's where that price point comes in. Yeah, and the affordability of that uh, for the average consumer. So you keep bringing up access, and I and I love it because you have an advocacy program that's on the on the website that's called Speak Up for Access. And it encourages voters and patients uh, to advocate uh, at, with government at the federal and state level for accessible prescription drugs, but through storytelling. Yes. So how do you use this program to drive that engagement? Yeah, you know, um, you know, people and you know, people power is everything. And as you mentioned in my bio that, you know, I've worked at Seattle Foundation and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Well, I think of myself as just building engaged communities. And, you know, AAM as the association, associations are fairly, you know, is, tr is a trust, trusted out there as a representative of their industry, but there is nothing better than it coming for the people that have that real life experience. So um, it's not just about the story, but, you know, people's voice matters so much today. And with uh, new channels and emerging clan channels, mobile, social media, uh, look at the YouTubers out there. They have power and influence, the power and influence they have. And it's really just a bit appealing. Uh, I guess we're pretty lucky, you know, with, with uh, the generics and, and biosimilars because um, this is directly impacts people as an immediate effect on their household and their disposable income. If you're giving to some charity or, or advocating for something that maybe is like save the whales, which I love whales, <laughs> I love the animals, but it doesn't directly maybe affect you right there in your home and your family. And so it's really um, about them and uh, they just need to be armed with the information and make it really easy for them to contact their lawmaker. And, and the effect is more than just necessarily to the individual. It can affect the extended family based on how that impacts them financially uh, within the family, you know, you can 
others in the family that that may not be on the medicines and and may not be sick uh, also also can be impacted by that. You know, you you did talk uh, about stakeholders, and I have a, a a program I do called the Seven Branches of the Advocacy Tree, oh. and most people don't look at advocacy outside of the realm of necessarily government affairs, but on my advocacy tree to fill out the entire tree, you've got government affairs and you've got media and you've got brand and you've got cause and you've got industry and you've got public service and you also have people. And so through your storytelling, you're using, you're using the power of the people. So in your role as marketing, what other channels are you using besides the patient necessarily and the storytelling there to help get the word out that you're trying to, to reach. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the patient story is one aspect. I think the other content that really is helpful combining the two together is, is the data, the data and the storytelling. So when we think to uh, uh, getting out those resources information, like I said, I just cited a few statistics. Um, I would say on that side, when you're talking about channels, I think having those um, advocacy campaigns where you have a website or a microsite where it's really easy for um, lawmakers to find and download the information, um, that is great. I think when it comes at, you know, we have things on the AM website, we have campaign microsites, but then when we look at channels, especially now in this uh, world we're living in, in the pandemic, we've found that, um, you know, where before we actually did, I like experiential campaigns. We actually created an experience to celebrate 35 years of generics medicines. And what we did was activate patients on the Hill uh, and, and staffers that work on the Hill, people walking by Capitol Hill. We were set up in two different places outside and we delivered over 1500 different cupcakes. We gave away Georgetown cupcakes just to engage with people. And then we actually delivered boxes of cupcakes to the original lawmakers that um, created, a, it's the Hacks of Waxman that kind of gave birth to the generics industry. And so without COVID, those kind of activations when you can actually be face-to-face -face right. is, is so important and probably the best way. But with the pandemic, we've gotten pretty creative with what we're doing right now. We're on a Zoom. Um, all these emerging channels um, that people are using, one of them being, uh, we're doing a campaign right now and we're using Spotify. Uh, you know, people listen to podcasts. So the great thing is, you know, sometimes with ads, um, you know, on the radio, kind of just, you're not even listening to them. They just kind of roll by. And many times on TV, people are, you know, just recording and skipping by commercials. So if you can make it engaging, right now we're, we're running a number of quizzes on Spotify. Did you know, is it A, B, or C? <laughs> and, and, and people like that. And if they do it multiple times, you phrase it that way, and then they can answer the question in terms of their life, whether they're a lawmaker or a patient, um, you know, our member companies, um, they, it, it resonates with them and they, we, they say, wow. And I think that's what we're going for, that moment when they're like, I didn't know that, right. I'm gonna go learn more. And, that, and then we got them. So we're not trying to go and, and use messages, especially now uh, during the pandemic, we found that people just 
have too much information going on and they want more positive information, too many negatives out there. So you, they want, they're looking for solutions. So when we put it out there, we're putting it out in the fact of uh, using the Spotify as a channel to um, engage them in, with a positive message, like learn more about solutions and better ways we can work together to make basically a better world for everyone, right? Oh, I think, um, that's, I, I think that's great. And, and I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of noise out there. So how do you find the way of cutting through that noise? Now, I know that you have an action center, the AAM action center, where you ask supporters to take action on, on specific issues. How has that worked for you? And has it been an effective tool? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I came to AAM, we did not have any grassroots advocacy. I, I mean, we didn't, you know, we're a small association. We have 30 people. So we do rely on a lot of allies, patient groups. Um, we work with them. Um, and so we, right off the bat, we started with acquiring um, people uh, through campaigns. So we set up a, a campaign through our action center and it could be state or federal level. So they could search for their state and find out what's happening near them and they can take action. And what that tool allows them to do is either send an email or send a tweet or call their lawmaker. And it makes it really easy. And what we found, no matter what type of campaign you're seeing in there, it typically all kind of boils down to access or probably something drug pricing related. So we've learned that if you, if it takes more than three sentences to <laughs> try to sell them on what the issue is, you've lost them already. That's so right. don't stand in their way. Just tell them that there is something happening right now that is going to impact you or your family in your state. Um, and, you know, please send a message to your lawmaker. And what that tool does is already pre-gives them an inform um, information. So they don't have to know about the issue um, and they can pre-see that message, which is fairly simple and they agree with and they, and they hit send. And since I've started, we have um, over 20,000 advocates are now in our kind of database and they've sent over 175,000 messages, either a call or a tweet or an email on the federal or state level. Oh, that's, that's, that's outstanding. Uh, and then do you encourage your people to do any work in the field in, in district offices throughout the country? Yeah, so we have a very talented team. Um, again, we're small, but kind of punch above our weight belt is kind of what our CEO talks about. And they are out on the ground. We have someone on the West Coast. We have someone on the East Coast, someone that manages in the middle. And so one of the things that's interesting is um, that, that Grassroots does live on the marketing communications scene. And so I'm working very, very closely in the, with our state and federal affairs team. Um, for example, just on the patient story side, uh, prior to COVID, we uh, had a kind of a man on the street and we were doing, uh, we were actually doing a road trip up and down the, the Northeast in states that kind of had priority issues for us. And we would interview patients and they would talk about, they just walked out of the pharmacy and we would ask them, what did you fill your prescription for? And we know that 90% um, of prescriptions are filled for under $20 or less. 
So typically their answer is going to be, I love my generics. I hardly paid anything. It hasn't, my prices have not gone up. I love my generics. Please lawmaker, don't do anything. Protect, you know, my affordable generics. And so uh, we work with them. Um, we arm them with resources and information. So whether we have patient videos, whether I have infographics, whether it's stats from our report that it's drilled down by state. Um, we have even, we have metrics about savings by each patient condition. And so when you're talking to a lawmaker in a state, they might be making legislation and they're, it's well-intentioned. They might be trying to pass um, a law that they think is going to help patients. And that's where we have to engage them and just re-educate them and say, you know, that's actually going to impact your access to, to in your patients in your state. And so just arming that with those these data and statistics that is state specific is really helpful. Um, we also find that when it comes down to grassroots, much easier to kind of make a difference at the state level than federal. Um, I think you know all about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you're absolutely right when you talked about the marketing role in, in grassroots advocacy, because a lot of the public policy people, I mean, they're really good at getting into the weeds. They're really good really? at understanding exactly what that legislation is going to do. But sometimes very difficult for them to put it in the layman type terms that allows the different stakeholder groups to take that and run with that. So tying it together. So your role then with marketing that is, well, well how, do you, how do you work that out? Do they come to you then and indicate, hey, this is going on here, there, or there. How do we message this correctly? How do we, how do we push this forward? Explain that a little bit for me. Yeah, I, I just feel like I'm, and one of the reasons I'd say it at AAM, because I, I think we really do have a very highly collaborative, integrated team that really appreciates each other's strengths. And so they are the ones that are looking out and moderating and making sure that there isn't anything that's gonna impact patient access or our members might flag, you know, this is a problem. Um, and that's it. They don't have to go in to, to share every little detail. Like I said, um, we can take it and what we do fairly well, you know, is kind of dumb that down. Um, now we do both grassroots and grass tops. So if we are, we do um, do communications and marketing tweets, you know, digital geofencing that with a message directly to a lawmaker, we might even put things in a, in a blog that we know that they're reading in the state. Um, we'll create all that uh, from, from our perspective because we know and, and test. And that's one of my, I kind of have some guiding principles. I think with digital, being able to message and understand what messages resonate and work for both lawmakers and for the, the public really important. So when I came on, that being one of my strengths, um, I actually managed a digital um, analytics team at, at St. Jude. And, you know, when people open their eyes and see the data, they're like, I'm not going to try to rewrite that. Like it's, and we'll test messages. So we'll come back to them with a proven tested message. And most of the time we're just switching out some basic information. And then if it's in a grassroots message, yeah, we're working very closely with our state team to make sure that that one or two sentences asked to the lawmaker is, is very specific and on point. 
but everything else around it, what channel to put it in, what to say, we're testing into that. Um, we don't have to, you know, really be in the weeds on that. Yeah, and and when and when you're testing, you're probably not changing things very much. It's only minor tweaks, right. but it reminds me of you know the, the poster Frank Luntz that has the as the book Words That Work, and how the difference in one word can absolutely change a perception in someone's mind of the issue, even though it may not technically change the meaning of it at all. And it could be colors and images. I mean, part of my background is in creative. Uh, and so creative and education, and I'm doing marketing. And, you know, it, it is all ties together because it's all about people's behavior, right? And one thing is you can't predict. And just because it worked like that last month, doesn't mean it's going to work exactly like that the next month in that state. That's and right. everybody's affected by what might be in the news that day. So I think the best approach is just always going out iteratively with a few different approaches, see what works best, and then rolling out, optimizing, and, and really pushing hard once you find what, what resonates with somebody. That's right. It's a constantly moving target. Absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. that people have such short attention spans. So... <laughs> It, you know, it's like banner violence, you get banner blindness, and you have to constantly be creative and innovative to grab people's attention. Um, I'll tell you a crazy one that we did um, was we actually, we wanted, I mentioned the word biosimilars, and, and I think at the beginning you were like, <laughs> what is a biosimilar? Um, so biosimilar medicines, we represent biosimilars as well. They are the competitors to brand biologic medicines. And those are the ones that are actually, uh, when you look down, you know, when legislature are trying to cut costs, it's the brand biologics in the pharmaceutical industry that cost a lot of money. Um, so biosimilars have been around for a while. They're used around the whole world. In the United States, it's been slow on the uptake. There are some out but they really have a huge opportunity um, for patients to, you know, by having a competitor on the market, it just lowers drug prices altogether. Um, but also biosimilars, people aren't really aware. They don't know they're taking a biosimilar. It, your physician is just saying you're coming with this medicine. So to raise overall awareness and get people comfortable with the word biosimilar, we created um, for the 10th anniversary of biosimilars in the US, from the BPCIA, which was the legislation, we did a 10-year anniversary campaign and created a um, an Instagram and Snapchat lens or filter. Uh, you know, when you're on a phone and you can change your hair to be purple or put glasses on. Well, we actually did that. Where we so we created this 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 app. We had a microsite and it was called B10 Similars. And when they're on Instagram, they can click the link put it towards their face and create a selfie with a cool little glasses on. And then these hexagons with icons of medical things. And then it, it just basically engaged them in a different way to then click and learn more what a biosimilar is. Excellent. Maybe I need to get on that app. Uh, <laughs> so you talked earlier about your cupcake event that you had on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, are you, are you planning anything, uh, in the near term, I mean, I you know, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel with the with the pandemic and and things opening up a little bit more in different places. Uh, do you have any events where your advocates can either gather to learn more about uh, 
what's going on or more about the next role of tactics that you can use to communicate your, your needs? Um, sure. I think that, um, like you said, most of everything that we've been doing has really been very sensitive to what's happening right now in the world. Um, but because of what's happening in the world has actually made some of our frontline workers kind of shine. So we've been sharing a lot, not only patients sharing their story for advocacy, but just showcasing our frontline workers that are behind the scenes creating those medicines. And so we're, the two things that we're kind of highlighting right now, we actually have a microsite securemeds.org, which outlines these two, I guess you can call them issues. Um, one being the supply chain. Um, I think we all uh, <laughs> weren't sure if you we were going to get our toilet paper, <laughs> but guess what? You were able to pick up your medicines at the pharmacy. You can go down to CVS and they were there. Um, so we want to make sure that we have a strong and resilient supply chain for not only now, but whatever comes ahead. So there are some opportunities uh, for Congress, for HHS to consider to make sure that um, patients will always have access to those medicines, um, you know, have to do with the supply chain, you know, where they're coming from, you know, just alleviating those issues. That's one part of it. Well, and I was, I was, I was just going to ask you about the, the critical initiatives that you have as an organization. So I would assume then making sure that the supply chain uh, stays intact and is, uh, what, so sustainable? Uh, throughout the process uh, is, is a good thing for your organization. What else over the, let's say the yeah, next say you, you just said the word, sustainable. <laughs> so sustainability. So I think uh, that was, that's the other half. We just put out um, a report and it, it kind of lumps a, a bunch of things in there that we've already talked to for the previous administration, but it highlights all the ways that going forward, we can have a sustainable marketplace. Um, you know, I did, you know, talk about some of the other prices, which are very low, but that necessarily, you know, and, you know, in our report, generics basically saved the healthcare system $313 billion in a year. That adds a savings of $6 million a week. But those are huge numbers for lawmakers, right? And so we had to outline ways that we don't get those prices too low, that it doesn't make sense or it's not feasible for one of our companies to even compete in the marketplace. So right. sustainability on those low costs are really important. Um, and, and it does talk about biosimilars. I mean, if there's not a lot of biosimilars in the US, what is, why, how can we, um, you know, what are some things that we can do? What are incentives that we can do? How can we educate at a larger scale to make sure that um, people trust them and prescribe them? I was actually uh, on a call with a patient, you know, with the Zoom, we can still do patient stories. So her name is Akimi and um, she actually is on a biosimilar. We have three patients that are getting featured in a report that we're releasing called Vo um, Voices of Access. Uh, coming out next month. And we feature uh, about 30 different patients. And one of them is Akimi who is taking a biosimilar. Um, she um, has stage four cancer, but her, her quality of life, uh, she had a lot of side effects from the chemo. And so she's taking the biosimilar to combat those side effects. And it's, it's, I mean, she's a huge ambassador for biosimilars because she's 
Like I can live my life. I'm a grandmother. She has kids. She's like, now I can get up and move. She's actually has an Instagram following and she's an artist. And, and just watching her thrive is everything and why I go to work every day. And so people like her and the report that we're gonna put out hopefully entices people to go out and share their story about the supply chain, share you know, how they received their meds during the pandemic and please you know, make sure that I can continue to do that. Um, but also, you know, sustainability, just, you know, the everyday um, patient can go to our website, accessiblemeds.org. There's a take action button at the top, and it gives you a number of ways you can help. You can either go and take action on a current campaign, you can share your story, or you can just read and learn more about these resources and get educated. And then figure out, you know, when it makes sense to go and uh, contact your, your lawmaker. Erica, you talked about one of the campaigns that you did uh, where you kind of did the man on the street interviews as they were coming out of pharmaceuticals and, and that. I have done in different locations asking people on the street this question. So I'm going to ask it of you. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of advocacy? Oh, boy. Um, I would say, I, I would say people power. I mean, I just think the people, I mean, I don't know if you can ignore the voice and the strength of a person. So I think advocacy is about using your voice and using your voice in an offensive way to help make change. Um, I, I, there's other things that we do. Again, we meet with lawmakers. We um, have collaborations and partnerships, kind of getting a bunch of people to work together towards something with a lot of success. But I think you have to be your own advocate you need to stand up and you need to get educated and they need to see the passion and the emotion come through. Um, no matter what we're doing, lawmakers need to know how it's impacting people, people and their constituents, and they're not gonna make change. And, and it's interesting, depending on where you are, when I ask that, per, that question of an average individual, I often get lobbyists oh. is the thing that comes to mind to them. And they all, and then I said, well, how do you feel about lobbyists? And then, you know, and they often feel negative about them. And then I point out to them that the actual word advocacy is a positive word. It says to plead in favor of, to speak out for, yeah. and, and trying to educate people that the act of being an advocate is a really positive move is something that I become very passionate about. And you folks then take it to the next step where you specifically say, we need your powerful voice to do this, to say this, uh, to, to help defend and protect what we know works in the right way for the people that need these type of medicines. So the president recently uh, addressed the joint session of Congress and a long list of legislative proposals. Is there anything in that that you folks have been discussing about the impact that it could have on your organization and or the patients that rely on? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I have some, you know, the, those are for our policy and, you know, affairs experts. Um, for, but I, I mean, I would say anything in general with the new administration, they're considering how um, to cut prices, cut drug prices. So I think that there are a number of things that 
are being considered that are that are in our favor. So, you know, making I don't think that we have a, an issue with lawmakers understanding fundamentally that having more generics is going to lower drug prices all law um, for everyone. I think it's more um, making sure that they're not creating something that inversely affects and it's, you know, when their intention is good, but it might impact things the wrong way. So I wouldn't say there is one thing out there. I think it's just a number of things to keep aware. I think one of the things is like, because we're 90% of prescriptions filled, people don't think about the generics market. Uh, we, our, our members actually work with us because they don't have, um, you know, like marketing departments. They don't have advertising budgets. They're not out there. I mean, if you have to pronounce a name of a generic drug, <laughs> most of us can't even pronounce them. So we need just to be there to be a voice of the industry. Otherwise we're ignored, we're taken for granted. They're like, oh, the generics will be fine. So, you know, it's just more, not a, maybe a single piece of legislation right now, but just keeping um, us top of mind. So as we come to a close, I wanna spin back to your role as, as marketing and running advocacy programs, kind of with a, uh, the visor of marketing on your head, what are your biggest challenges? And often is it, is it time, is it staff bandwidth, or is it really something else? Well, you know, there's always challenges. I mean, one where, you know, inherently we don't have the budgets of the brand name pharmaceutical companies and those lobbyists. So I think that's always going to be a challenge across the board is that even though most of the time we can be aligned on legislation, sometimes we are head to head and we just don't have advertising budgets to kind of combat with that. Um, I think another challenge I don't think people even think about is the work from home, trying to contact on the marketing side, find people, where are they? Like they're not, you can't just deal friends with state capital anymore. They're not sitting there. So we have to be creative. Uh, new ways, new new platforms, and also new ways. Like we can't just walk, get on the street, or create uh, more cup, giving out more cupcakes <laughs> to engage with people. We got to get them uh, to trust us and and get on get on a Zoom call. And so, one of the things we did, if you go to our website and you click share your story on that form at the bottom, on one click, you can either upload your video or just hit record. And so making it like super simple, those technology challenges um, that, you know, it's, it really impacts advocacy down to political ad restrictions when you can't do ads on Facebook. We have Apple and the iOS, you know, if you have an iPhone like I do, people need to start opting in for advertising. So I think on the marketing perspective, those are challenges we're dealing with daily. We create this amazing, you know, Instagram filter we can't advertise it because it's talking loosely with the BPCIA that happened 10 years ago. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, things, challenges on the digital side that we work with. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, being innovative, being able to react, coming up with um, innovative ways to overcome those challenges, um, sometimes, you know, come up with something that's even better than you had at the beginning. Yeah. Let the creative juices flow then. So any, any final thoughts, anything you'd like to add, Erica? I would just say, you know, I'm just going to reiterate, I think we touched on all of them, but I kind of have some guiding, you know, just a few guiding principles that, you know, for other people listening that 
um, you know, really help me do our, my job. And I think it makes it more effective. You know, one, always measure, you know, use those data analytics, listening tools. People will tell you, go look at Facebook and read the comments. They'll basically help guide you on how you should talk to um, an advocate. Um, be prepared, but don't over-prepare. You really need to stay nimble. You might need, uh, we had something happening that, you know, it's not like you get a really big heads up when, when some bill is going to get voted on that day. So you need to be ready. And so once we knew they were all gathering on the White House, and so we geofenced with advertising and got that up that day, and we were able to share with our members how many clicks we got to our resources. And I mean, that's just, you got to be nimble. Um, I think collaboration makes you stronger. We have a very strong partnership with our um, government affairs team, our legal team, our allies and partnerships team. That's everything. We do not work in silos. We all work together. And I think that's really, really important. And then we also talked about just keeping the message simple. I mean, <laughs> um, everything should loosely boil down to one or two sentences for, for impact. Um, and, um, you know, try to, try to, try to stick with that. Um, if you're writing five pages on what your, <laughs> what your issue is, <laughs> you're going to lose them. So, um, you're absolutely right. Simple. What great sound advice, Erica, how can people reach? I mean, I know you've listed a lot of things and we will, in our show notes, list out a lot of the different sites, uh, that, that you listed here today. So how can people reach AAM? For more information well i go to our website um it's accessiblemeds.org all our social channels are also at accessible meds so you don't have to do aem or any you know write out our long name it's accessible meds um, i mentioned biosimilars um biosimilarscouncil.org if you want to learn more or engage with biosimilars sign up for their um, bulletin their newsletter um, there's also one other thing I didn't mention, and it's a little bit um, more like, you know, we engage patients and consumers, but we also engage people in the uh, um, policy experts. So what we started about two years ago was a women in health policy group that is now over 700 members. Um, so if you care about health policy, we invite all women and it's open to men as well. We're just there and our mission is to really help support women that want to learn more about healthcare policy. Um, and we, and you can find it, the group on LinkedIn, it's called WIP for short, Women in Health Policy. And we invite you to join and learn more and engage because it's not just about our industry. We, we want to work with other associations. We want to work with other healthcare associations. If by us all coming together, we can really um, make a difference. So I guess the ask today is just get involved, sign up for one of those things, sign up for a newsletter, follow our Facebook, follow our Twitter, and then, and then see what happens. That's great. Thank you very much, Erica. Now that's a wrap up of today's guest conversation with Erica Klinger, Senior Director of Marketing, the, Accessible, the Association for Accessible Medicines. Thank you, Erica, for being on the show today. Thank you, Roger. I really enjoyed it. And now it's time for the advocacy engagement tip. 
We always talk about having our advocates communicate their, with their elected officials. And to be effective in doing this, one has to learn a few guiding principles. Today's principle in meetings or phone calls with elected officials, keep it short and simple. Think about what you want and why you want it. Identify only one or two main points. Legislators will appreciate your respect for their busy schedules. Do you have a program to train and onboard any new advocates or reinforce advocacy best practices and principles to your existing grassroots advocates? We are proud to have RAP Index as a sponsor to the show. Let's face it, today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's R-A-P index.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. A few quick notes to end this episode. In upcoming episodes, you will be treated to great interviews from leaders in the world of politics, associations, and nonprofit causes. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast today. A big thank you to today's distinguished guest. We at Voices in Advocacy work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. That's it for this episode of the Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.